special team so far. A pair of blocks on field goal attempts wasn't nearly enough for NIU to undo their own special teams errors in a 44-8 loss to Nebraska two weeks ago. After a poor performance and injuries across the defense, how will the Huskies respond this Saturday with a boneyard matchup against Vanderbilt? Hey everyone, I'm James Krause and joined as always by Mike Knapp here on the Red Black Football Podcast. Mike, how are you doing today? Pretty good, but uh, I guess some of our listeners might be wondering if I'm ready to eat crow for my prediction from a couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, that was... <laughs> um, you know what? I, I, I'm i doubling down, and I'm going to say that, that NIU's going to beat Vanderbilt this weekend. Oh, no. <laughs> I but hope. Here's, oh. here's the thing about Nebraska, is that that was not the same football team I had seen the previous two weeks. Well, they, let's, they, let's talk about that game, because yeah. like you said... This was a team that going into it, certainly there's no doubt about the talent of Nebraska. They're a Big Ten team for a reason. They're a historic program. It was just that the pieces didn't seem to come together until last week. Well, yeah. I mean, against South Alabama, they looked pretty inept. I mean, they made a lot of mistakes. They couldn't do anything offensively. Their defense and their special teams bailed them out. Uh, Against Colorado, they coughed up a 17-point lead in the second half and lost in overtime. And then they showed up last Saturday, and, I mean, they could run the ball. They could throw the ball. They made plays uh, on special teams. And it was one of those situations where the home field really was a home field. I mean, they they made a couple of plays. They got that place whipped up to, into a frenzy, and they just kept riding that momentum. I, it, You know, it was just crazy to even see – out of Northern that I'd seen the previous two games, that wasn't the same team either. Yeah, that ultimately was something that when looking back at the game, NIU gave too many short field opportunities for Nebraska, and especially against a team that talented. We mentioned it, that you you couldn't afford to make mistakes on special teams, and they went out and they did, unfortunately. They had a, a plethora of problems early. It's, how, it's why we saw Ross Bowers have a few punts in there. Right. And at the same time, they had some success on special teams. They got some blocks on field goals. But across the board, I think outside, if you wanted to talk outside of the turnovers and, and the issues they had on special teams, uh, they gave up a lot on the ground, which is something NIU doesn't typically do. And mm-hmm. even sometimes when they're able to really limit the running game, the passing game gets the better of them. Well, against Nebraska, it was like the dam broke. Yeah, and what was unfortunate is because Northern, on the flip side, had a couple chances early on to um, put some points on the board. Bowers had a couple open receivers uh, that could have uh, pulled out some long gains, and he overthrew them. And he even said after the game he wishes he could have those throws back. But, you know, they had a couple opportunities early on to, to squash Nebraska's momentum and just couldn't make enough plays to, to make that happen. They have the bye week, and even then – there's still lingering injury problems uh, to speak of. It was it came out during this week's press conference from Thomas Hammock. Kyle Pugh has a shoulder injury. He's out for the season. Mark Adkins, we talked about him after that first week he had at Illinois State. An ankle injury will leave him to be redshirted. We still don't know the status of Lance DeVoe Jr., who has been out since the start of the season after a procedure, and Ben Leroy is not in the depth chart this week. How should the defense adjust to these sort of setbacks, and how major are some of these injuries? As thin as they are in the secondary, you know, that's tough. I, I think the, the biggest thing they have to do is uh, get more pressure on the quarterback. And 
Um, you know, if they can get the quarterback to start rushing some throws. I mean, Martinez had so much time for the most part. Um, and he's mobile, too, which they won't see a quarterback that, as mobile this weekend. But um, Martinez had a lot of time to throw, and when he didn't, uh, when the rush was coming in, he could uh, avoid it, expend, extend the play, and uh, throw the ball down the field anyway. So the main thing, again, is just that the defense is going to have to get more pressure on the quarterback this weekend, especially as thin as they're getting in the linebacker and uh, uh, defensive back cores. Vinny Labus will be the player taking the spot of Kyle Pugh, and Devin Haney is going to get the start at cornerback along with Jalen McKee uh, at the spot that uh, Aikens had occupied earlier in the year. Experience is certainly something that, when you look at a backup, uh, will be a factor. Vinny obviously got the start last week. Jordan Cole has been starting all year in place of uh, Lance DeVoe. I guess having game reps, even against Nebraska, even if it might be in cases of blowout, you know, it, it sets you up for what now will be, you know, Vinny Labus's starting job. Right, and, and especially to see uh, that kind of speed. Um, to, you know, to say if you've played in Illinois State or someone like that, and then you come in against Vanderbilt and or Nebraska, but you look ahead to Vanderbilt, and they're not a great SEC team, but they're still an SEC team. It, it's almost the same thing as Nebraska, where they are, you know, maybe a team that in their own conference isn't that strong, especially when you compare them to Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU. Uh, Florida, but they still have talent on par with some of those schools, and certainly talent that NIU isn't going to see a lot this year. Well, yeah, I mean they they hung thirty eight points on LSU uh, last week. I mean they gave up sixty six. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll get but, to that. But they still, but I mean they still scored thirty eight points against one of the top five teams in the country. So um, there's talent. It's not. Uh, the deep SEC talent, but if you're good enough to play in the SEC, uh, there's you're probably pretty fast, and uh, you know probably know how to play the game pretty well. So um, that that's gonna so in a Nebraska sense, in this sense, or in Utah, when you're getting out there and that and seeing that speed, you need to see it because that helps you slow the game down. You know, and that's the most important thing in it for an athlete in any sport is you have to slow the game down. And so if you're seeing it, um, you know, if you're just seeing it at like ISU speed and all of a sudden you jump up to Vanderbilt, then you're seeing it in hyperspeed. You know, so you have to have that experience to slow the game down and let it develop in front of you just like it did when you were a good high school player. And, And that was what was happening because that's what made you a good high school player. So... Um, that's what they're going to need to do with the young guys is just keep getting them that reps. The injury bug, I guess, hit at the best time possible, uh, all things considered. They had the bye week. Uh, Talking with some of the players uh, at this week's press conference, the focus on the bye week was to improve in their skills. In terms of what we've seen these first three weeks versus now with an additional week to focus on improvement, what should we see improve the most going into this week? Hopefully, the, uh, improving two areas on offense. One is third down conversions, where they're 129th out of 130 teams in the country. Yeah, and the other one is rushing, where they're 100, 127th. And 
Coach Hammock said after the Nebraska game, they really need to get the rush game going because they're facing too many. And he's an analytics guy, so he is familiar with the kind of statistics of third and two as compared to third and eight. And he said what they need to do is third down conversion-wise, they have to they're, – they're in third and seven, third and eight, even longer than that, way too many times. And that's because they just can't get four or five yards on first down uh, with the running game. And when you put that much pressure on the the passing game, uh, you know, yeah, Bowers could probably go out and throw the ball 50 times. But again, um, in terms uh, of a numbers and analytics standpoint, the more you're throwing the ball, the more likely you are to commit some sort of mistake. Exactly, exactly. You go back to the Woody Hayes days and where he said, uh, you know, when people asked him why he didn't throw the ball, he said, well, there are three things that can happen when you throw the ball. Two of them are bad. Yeah. So, you know, the more you throw the ball, the more you bring those two bad things into into play. So you, you've got to get, and especially, like he said, the, the term he used were pinning their ears back. And that was what was happening with Nebraska, too, was that third and seven, third and eight, they knew they were going to throw. So they were just bringing the house and, and getting back to Bowers. And he just didn't have enough time. And then their their secondary uh, didn't have enough time for the receivers to really break out on their routes because, you know, by the time he threw the ball, the secondary was still there. The receivers didn't get any separation. And he had a lot of passes that were batted down, um, you know, by their uh, by their defensive backs. I think when you mentioned the third down conversions, you know, part of that is a result of what happens on first and second down. And that goes back to the rushing game. You know, right. obviously they're going to that number is going to shoot up if they're able to get more third and twos, third and threes, third and five or less, uh, as opposed to the third and eights and, and third and longs. And with the running game, I know this is something that Hammock, he is uh, probably tougher on his running backs than he is any other player on the team because he has an understanding of how to execute his run game, first of all. And he knows how to produce running backs for the next level at the NFL. He's he's coached guys like Melvin Gordon and Monte Bell and James White at uh, Wisconsin. He understands what elite-level running backs can do and what the little things that Trey Harbison, Marcus Jones, and Jordan Nettles can do, maybe to not make themselves elite per se, but to improve and really help out their team. Well, and his DNA, when you look at him as both a player and a coach, is getting the running game going downhill. Um, that's what he was like as a running back here. And right. um, you look at that's what uh, that's the whole been the whole Wisconsin philosophy for the last 30 years. And in the NFL, even though we're into an era where they're throwing the ball around the field and putting up lots of numbers, he's still going to run the ball. I mean, even even teams, I mean, you have a couple outliers, but the, the teams that really go deep in the playoffs are the ones that can run the football. And so, um, especially coming up into league play, and that starts um, next weekend, then uh, where they finally get another home game, by the way. By the time you get in the league play, you've got to have that figured out because, uh, you know, then there's a lot of, then you've got familiarity with the teams you're playing and, and so then it just becomes execution and like you said that's what um, coach hammock knows how to do is he knows how to get those running backs to you know execute and i think sometimes right now it seems like it's a little bit of a confidence thing where i'm not seeing guys just you know going 
really running at the hole and really um, going after it. It, it kind of seems like there's a little bit more jumping around and bouncing and trying to find something as opposed to uh, doing what they need to do to execute the play that's been called. Well, we talked about improving during the bye week. We talked about facing familiar foes. We talked about that a little bit in our interview this week. It's McKelty Williams, the safety for the NIU Huskies. We'll have that interview and a preview coming up here on the Red Black Football Podcast. Wilson pressured on first down, got rid of it, intercepted. McKelty Williams has the interception for Northern Illinois, and that all but does it. Don't go. Joining me now on the Red Black Football Podcast is uh, Safety McKelty Williams. McKelty, thanks for joining us on the show. No, thanks you for thank you for having me. The first thing I wanted to talk to you about was you actually had to sit out that first half of the Nebraska game. One thing I was curious about. Going through warm-ups, right. having to sit out for a half in the locker room and then come back out and, and be mentally prepared for the second half of a game. What is that whole process like? So for me, it was more of uh, getting myself ahead in my preparation. I felt good um, really just going into the game with my preparation, but I think uh, that first half gave me an opportunity to even boost my preparation and just get to get a feel for the game by watching it on TV. From that Nebraska game, what was the biggest lesson you guys took away? Obviously, Adrian Martinez had a pretty good game. Uh, the biggest lesson that we took from uh, that game was let's stick to doing our 111. Uh, each guy on our defense um, has to do their job in order for us to be successful, and uh, that's the hard lesson that we had to learn, but it's a lesson that we need to learn. With injuries to Pew, Aikman, and uh, Terry from that came out of last week and the week prior, right. uh, what are some things to step up and do your, as you said, your 111 uh, in this game against Vanderbilt? Uh, so I think it, it, it's going to take um, our young guys stepping up, um, understanding their role, and understanding how uh, Vandy will try to attack us on offense and so um, I think that, w- that would be the biggest thing, just making sure our film study and um, our practices are going really well. Talking about coming off of a bye week, what's different, obviously, about just the functions of the team during a bye week outside of, of course, not having a game at the end of the week? Uh, I think it, it wouldn't nec- I wouldn't necessarily say there's a difference. Um, you just try to focus on, during a bye week, uh, improving on all the little things and little details that you may have not done uh, the weeks prior. And so when you go out there the following Saturday, you try to um, be uh, as clean as you can on the field. Going into this week, you guys are facing a former uh, Ball State quarterback in Riley Neal for Vanderbilt. Having played him before, but now he's on a different team, what are the advantages and, and disadvantages of having to prepare for that? Uh, so some of the advantages would be uh, he's the same guy, same quarterback. He's really good at what he's doing. Um, so we kind of have a feel for what he likes to do. A disadvantage for us would be uh, the different pieces um, that he has around him. Um, he has really, really good skill guys around him. I'm not saying that he didn't at Ball State, but it's just a little different. Uh, that would be probably the disadvantage for us going into the game. And you spoke about some of those weapons going against a tight end, Jared Pinkley, who was a – uh, preseason All-American. How is the uh, responsibilities divvied up between linebackers and secondary when you have to deal with a tight end like that? Uh, it, it doesn't really matter um, who you're going against. Obviously, they're really good players, but at the same time, our, our game plan 
will allow us to be successful if we do our jobs. So uh, regardless of the opponent, the opponent can be faceless. Um, if we do our 111, we'll be fine. This is, a, uh, I would imagine, a big matchup for some of the guys that come out of uh, the Southeast playing a Southeast Conference team. You have guys like uh, Foster who come from Tuscaloosa, a bunch of guys coming from Miami and right. from Vero Beach, Florida. Right. Is their attitude any different going into this game knowing that this will be sort of on a stage where uh, they'll get to be seen by a lot of people from their hometowns? Uh, I don't think uh, th these guys have a different attitude. I think it's just they know and understand that they're playing in front of a lot of their family because their family really don't they really don't get a chance to come to many of their home games. So this is kind of like a home game for them because it's so close um, in proximity. But uh, I think they, they prep uh, every week the same. Um, they go out there and uh, try their best to do their jobs. So I think I expect the same from this, this week too. You kind of touched on the press conference. It'll be an early game for you guys. It'll be 11 local time, uh, noon in Nashville. Do you feel you were able to better prepare for a noon game as opposed to a night game like you had in Nebraska? Um, I think every preparation would have to have to be the same. I try I try to stick to um, what works for myself and what works with uh, helping my teammates. So um, I try not to divvy away from uh, any preparation that I have. I try to keep it all the same. So, McKelty Williams, thanks again for joining us. Thank you for having me. So there's McKelty Williams talking about this week in Vanderbilt. He's facing a familiar quarterback that he's played before, and certainly the Huskies have played before, Riley Neal, a transfer, graduate transfer, much like Ross Bowers, except he transferred out of the MAC into the SEC. Uh, so far in three games, uh, he has three touchdowns and two interceptions. In his career against NIU, uh, 86 for 149 pass attempts, 929 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. But this is going to be a different Riley Neal than NIU might have seen uh, at Ball State. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he was kind of a dual threat at uh, at Ball State, and now he's more, you know, a drop back guy. And and probably that's why he chose to uh, transfer was to you know get a little bit of experience and maybe showcase himself a little bit in a more pro style attack. And so, you know, to get out there and and uh, throw the ball 30, 40 times a game, uh, you know, yeah, he's going to be a little bit different than uh, than what they saw in the past. So I think it's just to get that new film on him and see what he does and see how, his, how he's evolved his game and make adjustments based on that. He had to sit out uh, 2017 after an injury, got red-shirted. Uh, he played last year but also got hurt at times. So maybe – He's less of a rusher now. He's more focused on taking care of his body. And in general, he's just playing in a different offense that's going to spread the ball out more. So it kind of goes back to when we talked to McKelty. He is in a different offense now. We can't expect the same things from him that we expected at Ball State. Right, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, they – and they Vanderbilt, the other thing too, is they have, uh, they have some weapons on offense. I mean, they can run the ball. And like you said, he's got better athletes around him. So – He's not the focus of the offense anymore like he was at Ball State. The focus of this Vanderbilt office, we were just talking about him right before we started. Jared Pinky, 6'4", 260 pounds, 
So far, he has nine receptions for 119 yards. Doesn't have any touchdowns so far this season, but he's a preseason All-American. And that's a big factor because not a lot of college defenses are built to defend against guys that size. Well, and that's what we found out with uh, the success that uh, NIU's had with the tight ends in the first three games offensively. Actually, the tight ends were a big weapon against Nebraska. They kept a lot of drives going. And all you really got to do is uh, send your tight end up the up the seam a little bit, and most of the time they're going to be open. And, and so Pinkney, especially with his size, I think he's going to see – he's got a chance to see a few more targets. It's kind of interesting when I was looking at his, at his career stats that, um, you know, his career high in receptions is six. I, and I imagine a guy this big and this physical and athletic would get more – more targets to you know than than six in a game and and who knows maybe that may, may be um something that we'll see as as a wrinkle uh, against the huskies this weekend is that he gets targeted more and becomes a focal part of that of that uh, offense he had 50 catches last season 774 yards for seven touchdowns this is something that i feel like niu would be themselves, their defense better prepared for than maybe other teams because there's a defense that all summer long has had to practice against a tight end heavy offense with Daniel Crawford and Mitchell Brinkman. Right, and and so um, thankfully they've got a couple tight ends, good tight ends they go against. They should be pretty solid defending it um, unless they Vanderbilt's playing on getting him out on some mismatches against smaller players which could become a problem. But, um, yeah, you're right. The The defense is – this is, won't be something new, and so hopefully they'll know how to defend it. Well, certainly offense is going to be something that's a strong point for Vanderbilt. The matchup that a lot of people might want to look for, NIU's rushing attack. We mentioned it in the first half of the show. It's third worst in the nation out of the 130 teams in the FBS. They're going against the third most – points allowed defense in the nation Vanderbilt so far they're averaging 46 points a game and that comes with an asterisk going against uh, two top four ranked teams in Georgia and LSU nonetheless do you think this is a game that NIU can really look at and say we can do some things on offense against this defense I think so I think so I mean um, Vanderbilt 95th against the rush 128th against the pass 78th and third down conversions and they only have two sacks so with only two sacks you're gonna hopefully think that Bowers gets more time to throw um, and I use 45th in the nation in passing and that's against including games uh, like you said they get asterisks too for having played Nebraska, Utah and Nebraska yeah. on the road uh, 45th in, in passing so I really think that um, you know the passing game they could really put up some big numbers and move the ball down the field. That's not to take away again how they have to rush the ball, but um, it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me to see their first uh, first possession. They just come out firing and and try and get the ball down the field because obviously Bowers has the arm strength to really you know get those uh, medium and long range throws. And so if they can if they can protect him. Uh, you know, any game we've watched him play, the longer he's protected, the better his throws are. Um, and so I think that's the biggest key here is if they can uh, keep 
Vanderbilt to that trend of two sacks in three games, if they can give Bowers time to throw, he could just stand back there and go to work. And I think the thing that a lot of people think of when they think of the offense that they had to face, they faced Jake Fromm, the quarterback for Georgia in week one. Last week, they faced Joe Burrow, who has been a, a rising contender for the Heisman Trophy over these past few weeks with wins over uh, Texas. And, of course, last week he had, I think, six touchdowns uh, in that game. The biggest factor might be offensive line because we've seen them struggle early this year against Utah, struggle against Nebraska, even struggle against Illinois State in, in uh, the early parts of that game. Uh, really have to have a perfect game, I guess, on offensive line in order to to hang with Vanderbilt. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and um, again, like we said, uh, protection, no penalties. That's another thing that killed him against Nebraska, too. Right. Was some dumb penalties from the offensive line, whether it be holding. I think there was even a personal foul thrown in there. Um, you know, they can't, they can't make those mistakes. They can't continue to make those mistakes. And hopefully that was something that got – um, cleared up in the bye week because bad things that come with those mistakes aren't going to go away when they get back into the MAC and they're playing more evenly matched teams. Penalties are penalties. Right. So they've got to really clean up uh, their line play and just not make those, those types of mistakes that just kill their drives. Real quick also before we go into the last segment of our show, the three and out, how hot is it going to be in Nashville again? 95 degrees. Drink up. Drink up on water this weekend. If you're going to the game, if you're playing, you're going to want to drink up. Here's the three and out. First, a pair of Mid-American Conference games kick off Saturday, also at 11 a.m. local time, as does the NIU-Vanderbilt game. Buffalo, fresh off an upset of Temple, faces Miami of Ohio on ESPNU, while Central Michigan and Western Michigan meet for the victory cannon on CBS Sports. Two top 25 matchups are also set for the afternoon slate number 10 notre dame and number 18 virginia on nbc and number 17 washington and number 21 usc on fox a couple of interesting things in there um i'm really interested to see the buffalo miami game because buffalo is turning out to be a better team than some people thought they beat temple um everybody kind of thought uh, with their loss the personnel losses they had that uh they might be in a down year but all of a sudden they're they're uh they're just they're starting to win and they're starting to score points and they're starting to uh, play really well, play like they did last year. Notre Dame, Virginia is going to be really interesting to see how uh, Notre Dame bounces back uh, from the game, uh, the loss, the last uh, last second loss, I guess, if you want to call it, because they had a chance to win at the end, uh, see how they bounce back against a really solid Virginia team. And I want to see some more Pac-12 action. Do you watch any of the Washington State-UCLA game, the chaos that was going on at 2.30 in the morning? No, and, and I usually <laughs> stay up late, and, and I didn't watch that. Well, thankfully, thankfully for this week, we get it early on in the day. Yeah. Second down and nine. A former Ball State football player is back in America after three years in a Chinese prison. Wendell Brown was coaching American football in southwest China when he was prosecuted in 2016 for intentional assault in what Brown and others claim was an act of self-defense. Brown returned thanks to lobbying by the state of Michigan, U.S. officials, and other groups. And finally, University of Iowa President Bruce Harald told the Daily Iowan that he is considering ending the Iowa-Iowa State rivalry game, quote, unless we can protect our fans, our band, and of course our athletes. 
end quote. Iowa band members reported physical, verbal, and sexual assault from Iowa State fans in their matchup two weeks ago. Both schools are still investigating reports. I really hope they get that figured out because uh, Iowa Iowa State is a great rivalry. Um, maybe this is uh, something that is an indication that things are t- being taken a little too seriously. Maybe they got to take a break for a couple years. But um, one thing I want to add when you talk about uh, going west from here. Although the game didn't go the way I'd hoped, going to a game at Nebraska was an incredible experience. The people were nice. The you per- talked about it uh, this week at our sports meeting. It was loud there. It was loud. It was loud. It was 100, 110 decibels when they got the when the fans got really riled up. Just a great uh, environment for college football. But again, you know the people were wonderful. Uh, the staff was wonderful. They treated us so well. Uh, you know, just a great, uh, you know, they talk about uh, the hospitality of, of uh, Midwest people, and that was on full display there. I mean, it was just, it was just a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing to see a community. I mean, you got, you really got to go to Lincoln to understand that, you know, the stadium and the campus are really, uh, that's downtown Lincoln is, is right. that whole thing. So, you know, you come off the highway, and it's and it's just wherever they can put up a tent or where they can put out a grill, and they, you know they're. And I was there four hours before the game, and they were they were going at it pretty pretty hard with the tailgating. So, um, you know, I would like to go back there as a fan someday just to just to experience it. Although this weekend I am going to the Oklahoma Texas Tech game. Uh, down in Norman, so I'm I'm looking forward. The Baker Mayfield Bowl, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so that'll be that'll be really interesting. Hopefully, um, there's a lot of uh, points scored and a lot of fun had. Uh, another, it's going to be a hot game, and we're going to be sitting at the top of the stadium. But I'm really looking forward to uh, being a part of a of a really uh, big experience like an Oklahoma football game. Well, you mentioned the Midwestern hospitality at Nebraska. We'll see how Vanderbilt treats NIU to Southern hospitality when the Huskies play the Commanders Saturday morning uh, on the SEC Network. We'll have that recap and a preview when we start Mac play next week here on the Red Black Football Podcast. Red, black, big yell. Red, black.